Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Back to The Baldface Truth with John Kanzano on 750 The Game. whole bunch of questions about Dan Landing and how he's going to do in his first year. Very few questions about what Kyle Whittingham is going to do at Utah. But how good are they going to be? Here to talk about it, Josh Newman, Salt Lake Tribune. He is the guy if you are interested in Utah football. Camp has started. Uh, what's the early scuttlebutt at Utah, Josh? Uh, early scuttlebutt, I mean, look, we don't get to watch practice at Utah. So we're kind of left with, you know, talking to Kyle, uh, talking to Andy Ludwig yesterday, uh, the offensive coordinator. We got some players. I think, at least for me, yesterday was just a reminder, getting some face-to-face time. It was a reminder of just how heavy of a veteran presence there is with this Utah team, right? Between Cam Rising and Tavion Thomas, you've got two all-pack 12 tight ends coming back. 60% of the, of the offensive line is back. You know, the wide receiver room is a bit green, but all of the options are veteran are veteran pieces, second-year, third-year, fourth-year guys. So I think, yeah, you know, I, I think yesterday was a good reminder of, of just what we're dealing with with this Utah team and just how much is coming back off of last season's uh, Pac-12 winner uh, and the team that went to the Rose Bowl. Josh, you know, how did they get guys to come back? Because sometimes when you break through, you get to a Rose Bowl, the draft is calling, and you lose a bunch of players. But I kept hearing unfinished business at Media Day. Yeah, I mean, look, in fairness, I mean, they did lose some guys to the NFL draft, guys that, you know, were able to come back. Um, Britton Covey, uh, Cole Fotheringham, um, some others. But, you know, personally, yeah, I was a little surprised that you didn't see more defections. I thought there was certainly some writing on the wall uh, at certain positions on the roster didn't didn't really have that many guys leave and the guys that did leave uh, Utah made out well because you didn't lose any really like major too deep depth chart type guys um, I don't know it, it's a good question I don't have a great answer for it um, I think I think people uh, excuse me not people but you know players uh, saw what happened last year and they want to be part of that again I mean last year was something was something special, and I think there's something to be said for, um, you know, wanting to be part of that again. Uh, I think this is a coaching staff that, by and large, really, really supports its student athletes, and not just this coaching staff. I, I think, you know, beyond Kyle Whittingham, I think Mark Harlan, the AD at Utah, and his administration, I think they're very, very student athlete friendly. Um, you know, the adults in charge up on campus want the kids to have a positive college experience. And I think, you know, sometimes that, you know, that might go by the wayside, especially now talking about, you know, NIL and, you know, guys trying to make money off their name, image, and likeness. Um, You didn't see a lot of defections, and and I think there's a lot of reasons for that. Josh Newman, Salt Lake Tribune with us. Cam Rising, really impressed with him at Media Day, impressed with him last year on the field. Is there a step forward he can take this season in your mind? 
Yeah, that was a major topic of conversation. I think that was the number one topic of conversation yesterday. You know, Ryzen kind of turned some heads a little bit at media day last week. He essentially said that he was not 100% healthy, um, you know, had, had some trouble with his shoulder in terms of going down the field. I forget who he said it to, uh, but at one point during media day, he, he, he told somebody that essentially he was never more than 80% healthy last year, which makes the season that he had even more remarkable because he was outstanding, right? 2,500 yards and uh, 20 touchdowns. I think he ran for another 500 yards and six more touchdowns. So that was the topic of conversation. Uh, Rising reiterated yesterday that his shoulder is feeling much better, feeling much closer to 100%, feels comfortable now going down the field. And Kyle Whittingham um, agreed with that notion that, you know, to, to have this offense evolve, look, Utah will run the ball always run the ball and rising was very good in short and intermediate situations, but they didn't go down the field a ton. So Kyle Whittingham's, you know, main, main thing now with the passing attack is, is having rising go down the field. And they think they have two, you know, legitimate viable outside threats to throw to, um, in Devon Valley and, uh, and Solomon Enos, who is now in his, uh, I believe his fifth season with the program. The major thing that Kyle said yesterday about rising now kyle does not deal with or dabble in hyperbole with the media okay he's not going to give you the whole farm but if you ask him a question he will generally be very straightforward with you so somebody asked him about rising and leadership and having your quarterback back and kyle said that there are no weaknesses in rising's game right now Mm. on the field um off the field he's a leader you know he um his teammates gravitate towards him he is doing all the right things doing the things that a veteran fifth-year quarterback should be doing. So when Kyle says that somebody has no weaknesses, which Kyle never says, that definitely got our attention yesterday at practice. Andy Ludwig, the coordinator, you know, I know I've known him for a long time. I think he's really good at what he does. I thought he had a really good year a year ago, and I was trying to figure out, did he just have good pieces, good players? Was it Was it an amalgam of he had enough time with this group that he finally – was able to do some of the things he was able to do. But late in the year, Utah just pretty much did what it wanted to do on the field. What did you make of his performance last year, and, and does he have the core group back this year? I I think he absolutely had good players. I mean, that was clearly obvious, right? You know, with the, rise, uh, with the way that Rising played down the stretch, with the way Tavion Thomas played, with the way his offensive line played down the stretch. The offensive line was a, was a dumpster fire for the first month. Okay, between injuries and they were shuffling around, but that group came together. But I would agree that I thought Ludwig had himself had a really good season and he played to what he had. He wasn't trying to like jam square pegs into round holes. He saw what he had and he worked really well, really smart with what he had. And what he had was, again, an offensive line with veteran pieces that came together nicely under Jim Harding, the offensive line coach, and you had a battering ram at running back. Like, Tavion Thomas is a load, okay? Like, Makai Bernard is kind of this hybrid where, yeah, he can run the ball, but he, he can also come out of the backfield and, and, and do some damage there. But Tavion Thomas is like 6'2", 235. He's not that shifty. He is a straight-ahead battering ram. So you're Andy Ludwig, and you know this, and you're seeing this, well, what do you do? Like, down the stretch, Utah was running the ball 58, 60, 62% of the time 
in some of these games and rising. I hate the term game manager because that indicates that you're not a good quarterback. Rising did a nice job of, you know, managing the game, so to speak. He wasn't making mistakes. He wasn't turning the ball over. Andy wasn't asking him to do a ton in most weeks down the stretch. But when, uh, you know, when called upon, rising was rising was really good. So I thought Andy did a nice job of, of just playing to his strengths, seeing what he had, not trying to reinvent the wheel. And, you know, the job he did, that was a major reason why Utah had the level of success that it did. Give me a sense, Josh, on, you know, sort of the, take the temperature on Utah and, you know, all the talk about Pac-12 expansion, realignment. Uh, you know, there's been some talk about BYU coming to the Pac-12 or maybe Utah going to the Big 12. How stable do things feel for you in that region? Uh, I mean, I mean, look, you can ask, you know, you can take a sampling of the of the fan base right now. And, and, and you know, there's I think there's some fans who are who are a little nervous about what the future holds, because remember, you know, Utah is no stranger to conference realignment. OK, they were charter members of the WAC. They were charter members of the Mountain West. They moved into the Pac-12 in 2011. And now this program is at the point where, okay, not only are you in the Power Five, but you are winning your Power Five conference. You have a chance to win your Power Five conference again. I think there is a sense from some fans that they're a little nervous because they don't want to go backwards. They don't want to be left out in the cold when all the dust settles. But then you have this other part of the fan base that kind of agrees with me and I say that this administration, Mark Harlan, the AD, Taylor Randall, the president of, of the University of Utah, that's two men that are, are very savvy and very connected. Taylor Randall is an athletics-friendly uh, school president, unlike his predecessor, Ruth Watkins. Athletics-friendly president between him and the AD, those two are not going to allow Utah to get left behind whatever realignment brings. So, you know, again, you can take a you can take the temperature temperature of the fan base and get and get a couple of different answers. I think you take the temperature of the roster right now and guys aren't really concerned with that. Um, I think this coaching staff has done a good job of look and Kyle understands like you can't block out all of the noise in this day and age given social media and T V. That's impossible. But I think Kyle and his staff in the last three or four weeks have done a nice job of like circling the wagons getting the guys to really, you know, buy back into what we're doing here because I think there is a very strong sense among, again, the, the players themselves that this could, again, be a, a special season, something big could happen. So you don't want to, you know, start worrying about things that you can't control like conference realignment. Utah will open at Florida. Big game for Utah. Big game for the conference. How are you feeling about that game? I've gone back and forth. Um, look, this is not your typical Utah opener, okay? Utah does, um, at least under Kyle Whittingham, generally does not schedule, you know, power fives to open. Look, they have, right? They played Michigan uh, here in 2015. They went to A&M uh, like 10 or 12 years ago. So, they, you know, they've, they've opened with power fives, but the preference under Kyle Whittingham is generally to open, you know, with an FCS school, maybe a big sky, a Weber State, a Southern Utah, Idaho State, something along those lines. But this is a this is a big boy heavyweight opener, uh, start of a home and home series going to Florida. Um, if Utah thinks that it can get to a college football playoff, uh, this is not 
entirely, but this is essentially a must-win game. If you go into the swamp and come out of there with a win, everything is on the table. And when I say everything, if you win, you can run the table. And if you run the table as a Power 5 champion, you're probably not getting left out of the, of the playoff. Now, conversely, you know, if you go back and look at Florida schedules for literally the last 30 or 35 years, Florida never, never opens their home schedule with a Power 5. They bring in, you know, in years where they have not opened with an SEC team, they are bringing in cupcakes, group of five, FCS teams. So not only is this kind of, you know, uncharted territory for Utah, it's also uncharted territory for Florida. And there's a lot of hype in Florida right now, right? New coach in Billy Napier, they're going to sell the place out. You've got a real deal power five opponent coming in Utah. So um, this is the, this is probably the biggest opener in Utah football history. If you go through the, you know, you go through the history and you look at some of the best teams in program history, none of them have, have walked into an opener with the stakes that this Utah team has going into Florida. Feels like they can win it. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they lost, but it feels like this, this could be a season to build upon seasons for Utah. It would be huge for the conference, Josh. I think it would be a lot of fun for you to cover it, and but I think it would be huge for the Pac-12 to get a team in the playoff in a year where everybody's talking about the Pac-12 splintering in pieces. I mean, in a team not not USC, not UCLA, but Utah. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. I mean, look, Utah is more than capable of walking in there with a win. Like, I've been really starting to kind of look at the matchup and, and looking a little closer at Florida. Utah's 22 is better than Florida's 22. But you're going on the road in the heat and humidity. Uh, Florida, of course, has a ton of speed. You have a legitimate quarterback. Um, you know, going up against a first-year head coach in Billy Napier, not easy. I understand that there's previous film on Billy Napier teams from his previous top. There's no film on Billy Napier Florida team. So um, if you're asking me today on August 4th, yeah, I think Utah is, is going to walk in there and get a win, but perfectly capable of, of dropping that game too. It's, you know, when that point spread finally settles as we get closer to September 3rd, wouldn't shock me if that was a, you know, a true straight pick on that day at the swamp. Josh Newman, Salt Lake Tribune. Follow him on Twitter. Read him at the saltlaketribune.com website. Josh, I appreciate you giving us your time. Great stuff. Talk soon, John. Thank you. There he is. That's that's the lowdown on Utah. We're going to go around the conference in the next couple weeks in the run-up to the season. Uh, but Utah has an opportunity. Uh, the Pac-12 needs some prominent wins. And it's not going to come from Oregon likely in week one at Georgia. But I think Utah's got a real opportunity to go to Florida, win a game, and immediately catapult itself into uh, consideration. And I think the Utes will be favored in just about every game they play this season. Keep an eye on Utah and Cam Rising. For some reason, they think they've got unfinished business. I've got unfinished business as well. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Coming up in the next segment, Fletcher Johnson will be joining a broadcaster, make-a-wish guy, 
He's got a really cool event that is at about a decade in the running. We'll talk about the Ducks. We'll talk about Pac-12. We'll talk some soccer maybe with him as well as you hear him on your Timbers broadcast. Uh, we just got through talking to Josh Newman of the Salt Lake Tribune. Steven and Sean, I want to kick this around a little bit. First of all, let's go all the way back to the beginning of the show. I asked about Dan Lanning. What are your early thoughts on Oregon's first-year coach? Yeah, I mean, I think early thoughts for me is he's done everything right, and he comes across as a good, genuine person. Uh, he seems to get along really well with the players, and I think that has to do with his age, right? He's 36 years old. Mario Cristobal was in his early 50s when he left, so I think – that kind of bridged the gap a little bit. Uh, it just remains to be seen for me on the field, right? I think that's what I the most worried I would be if I'm a Duck fan is he's never been a head coach on this level before. And so what is his uh, you know, techniques going to be with uh, when it comes to game planning and clock management? Just like Mario Cristobal had his failures at that spot, can Dan, is Dan Lanning going to have the same thing? Because the talent is going to be there. Even with all the downfalls Cristobal had, they still won 10 games last season. So for me, it's all about just how he manages the clock, how he manages timeouts, what it is on game on game day, because everything outside of game day looks like it's a home run. And I think that's a really – it was a good hire for the Ducks right now. Let me ask you, Stephen, about Cristobal. I, I, I don't – like, I want to criticize his game management, but I think the bigger fault was he was just a control freak that wouldn't let anybody else do anything. And maybe that's what we were seeing on game day, that, you know, he wanted to be the guy in control of the timeouts and whether or not they were running the ball and what were they doing on defense. And I think he's had his hands on everything. Yeah, I think that could be right because there's a lot of college coaches that do that, right? Like it's their program. And you see it a lot in college basketball where these coaches really want their, their fingerprints on everything that they do. So I think that was the same thing with Mario Cristobal. Is he wanted his fingerprints on everything and I, I will hope that Dan Lanning saw that and has learned from that and can say, you know what, I want to open it up a little bit because the Ducks have the athletes and the talent to, you know, open it up a little bit. And we've talked about that. So I, I, I hope and I think that Dan Lanning can do it because he's young enough, he's still learning, uh, but it just remains to be seen what it looks like on game day. Sean, what do you think of Lanning's early early impressions on Lanning? It's been a home run so far. It seems like the players are really enjoying themselves. It seems like there's really good vibes around the program right now. Like, the players just seem happy uh, based on all the interviews I've watched. And, you know, seeing photos of them playing cornhole in Dan Lanning's backyard. Like, it seems like... Um, it's a little bit more of a, a new school coaching staff and the, the coaching staffs relating to the players a little bit more. And I'm, I'm not sure how much that, that matters for wins and losses, but it does seem like there's really good vibes and um, you know, it's uh it landing's doing a really good job kind of relating to, uh, to his team. And you know, it seems like the team's really uh close knit this year. It seems were, like there's been some good bonding going on. So, so were, far it's been great. Were you guys surprised with the caller? The very first caller called in and said they're going 12 and Oh, yeah, you guys surprised. I, I, yeah. I was. I mean, I I was. I'm higher on the Ducks than both you guys, and I I think ten wins is a good season. Oh, I'm pretty high on this team. Twelve yeah. though, twelve and zero. Crazy. You're beating Georgia. That's uh, that's a okay. lot. Going all the way. That is a lot. I, the question for me about Dan Lanning also is, you know, coming from the SEC, I always got the vibe of as soon as he's hired, like you know what, this is a stepping stone job, just like it was for Cristobal and for Willie Taggart. Is that what it's going to be for Dan Lane as well? If the Ducks have successful seasons, is he going to look to go back to the SEC? Here is a thought exercise. Who's the last team that ran the table in the Pac-12? Undefeated Pac-12 schedule. I think it's 2016 Washington. 
It's really hard uh, to no, do. No, uh, uh, I don't think so. I think I, I got to look that up, but. I, I, uh, hold me can't... to Washington. I'm like it's really hard. Like Utah lost to Oregon State last year. You know some good Oregon teams in the past. 2000... I don't think anybody's done it. I'm looking at the conference champions. I I want to say that this goes way back. I don't think it. Is, I don't think it was 2016 in Washington. Well, I'm 2014 look. Oregon did it right. Or no, they uh, lost to Arizona. So yeah, uh, it's super hard to to go undefeated in the Pac-12 season, let alone when you play Georgia and BYU in your non-conference. I understand the optimism. Yeah, I think 2016 a- Washington was eight and one. Last undefeated team was 2010 Oregon. They went wow. nine and zero. Oh. So super hard to do, yeah. and then you stack on Georgia and BYU. So I it, 12 wins is not happening. I mean, I, I feel like I'd be dreaming. Like you'd have to pinch me if they got 12 wins. I um, love the caller's enthusiasm. I don't like. I don't want to squash that because you know he's feeling good and he's in the middle of summer and okay this is let's go with it but I don't twelve and zero is not happening I don't think eleven and one's happening you can talk to me about ten wins but I I think they're gonna fall somewhere seven eight nine in Landing's first year and I just think it's a first year thing it's the same thing Lincoln Riley's going through at USC I think Lincoln Riley's gonna lose a game or two he shouldn't lose especially early but I'd love to be wrong I'd love to see Oregon. Sitting there, uh, you know, high, highly ranked heading into the late season. That would be a lot of fun. Fletcher Johnson's coming along. We'll talk about the Ducks. We'll talk about the Pac-12. And he's got a wish that he wants to share with us. Leave it here. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but... If you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.